join us as we take a look behind the scenes with the independent musicians of Louisiana. Learn about upcoming projects before they drop. Experience the rich heritage of iconic venues and get first-hand accounts of exclusive events. Musicians are remarkable people. Get to know them, their struggles, and the inspiration for their art. NewOrleansMusicians.com is dedicated to uplifting the artists and providing them with the tools necessary to elevate their craft. We shine a spotlight on them, as well as highlight the music scene and educate everyone with our interviews, album reviews, and music scene news. This is NewOrleansMusicians.com. Okay, I'm Steve Staples. I'm uh, one of the lead guitar players in the Iceman Special. Where are you from? Uh, well, I spent most of my life in New Orleans, but I was born in Oklahoma. Okay. <laughs> and you're living now in Olea? Is that how you say that? Oakdale. Oakdale? Okay. O-A-K-D-A-L-E. All right. And um, when you were when you were growing up in your household, was there a lot of music? Were, you fan, were your parents fans of music? Did you have yes. music influence? Yeah. My grandmother was a piano player. She played piano and organ in the church, mm -hmm. and she also played in a band with that traveled around. They were on television and played dates and stuff like that. Okay. And so, and my parents always had a record player and my mother could play the piano as well. So every time my parents would have people over, there would be, they would play the piano and stand around the piano and sing. Yeah. And I loved that. Yeah. And uh, it was the same thing at my grandmother's house. And, and my grandmother wrote music and she had me, from when my father went to the Korean War, right after I was born and we moved back to Oakdale and stayed with my grandmother for two years and she said I mean I was on her knee every day while she was practicing and playing the piano oh wow okay so I don't remember that yeah but she said that I was singing you know at that you were point absorbing it before by you the even time knew I was it. two I could carry a tune that's wow. what she said yeah um when did it first start to impact your life like as far as your memories go back um, such a big musical influence. I'll give you your earliest musical memory. Well, there was a, we got a television set um, when I was about four, I guess it was like 1955. Uh, or, and in the afternoons, there was a black and white country and western um, television show that came on out of Beaumont. Uh -huh. And I saw Waylon Jennings on that show. Okay. And this was like, I guess he was just coming. It was like when he was, I don't know if it was right before or during the hot, with the holly. I don't know how that all worked out with the crickets because I can't remember the timing exactly. Right. But when I saw him with that guitar and his hair was slicked back like Elvis Presley's and, and uh, it was. That hit you. And then my next door neighbors, they got two guitars. Uh -huh. Their father bought them, two Fender Esquires and two Fender Pro amplifiers, and they would play them on their front porch. And I was like, a, you know, a Pied Piper. Yeah. And I was led over there to that house. I would just sit there and just, I was totally mesmerized by that. So I was indoctrinated early. Yeah, sounds I mean, like I, And I was attracted to it, or I mean, I was, it was just. It fit, the two pieces fit. You were, you were entranced by it and it was all yeah, around Yeah, and that's you. all I've been doing ever since. I mean, I've done other things. Yeah. You know, a lot of other things, but I, but I never stopped playing music. Yeah. Um, as far as uh, your guidance went when you were coming up, did they expect, because I know for a lot of people, if they say as a child, uh, I want to be a musician, 
dad will probably say, yeah, right, get a job, and then, you know, worry about that later. Did they, did they take that attitude towards it, or was it more, well, I guess, liberal because of your it's, relatives? It's interesting. I mean, my father told me when I was really young that, that what he really wanted me to be was a lawyer. <laughs> right. Okay. I mean, he let me know that when I was like five. Yeah. And he goes, I'll buy you a brand new car if you go to school and all this stuff. He probably made me all these promises. And he was really disappointed when I didn't do that when I went off to college and I didn't join the ROTC like he did. And yeah, and I started taking drugs and, you know, and getting in trouble and all this stuff. And he, it's just, it was completely different than him. And it, it, it confounded him. But what I will say is that when I was in high school, I got in a really good band. I got invited to be in a really good band. And that band, band combined with another band formed the Gunga Dens. And that band got pretty successful. I mean, very successful, especially the, the Gunga Dens. Okay. <laughs> and uh, we recorded at Cosmos Studio. Nice. With, with uh, the Banishaks, who were the guys that did Tell It Like It Is. Okay. And their son was the, got interested in us because he was our age. Mm -hmm. And uh, what was I talking about? <laughs> well, basically how uh, you branched out from not following your father's path. Oh, right, right, right. So anyway, but what I was going to say was that it was interesting because he went out without telling me and bought me a really, really nice guitar. Okay. Maybe the nicest guitar I've ever had Yeah. in my whole life. How old were you when this happened? Uh, 16. Okay. He didn't tell anybody about it. He just came home one day and gave it to me. That's awesome. So it's just those you know, little things like that. It was just sort of this double message. He never came to hear me play ever. Right. Not once. Yeah. Was he kind of a stoic? Just kind of no. not too much emotion no, he showing? He wasn't totally stoic. I think that he, he learned how to be that way, but I yeah. think he was a softie inside. He wanted to be a painter and he, he didn't do that. Right. <laughs> well, maybe what you were doing resonated with him, following your own path. I, yeah. Well, here's what happened. I became a a hospital administrator and I ran addiction programs at treatment centers <clears throat> and um, for a long time for like 12 years and but I just it was eating up my time and I couldn't play enough music yeah I was working like 70 hours a week wow. and um, I'm making a lot of money but I was miserable and so I quit doing that and I went on the road with my wife for seven months in a motorhome. We went around to music schools because I knew that I wanted to go back and do music and I came back here and went to Loyola. So you left in a motorhome with and my father. And my father said, you're throwing everything away. Well, I'm sure you're, he thought you know, that. And I told him, I said, no, I'm not. I said, I can, if this doesn't work out, I can still be a counselor. I can still, you I have can that still do that. I have sure. all the credentials. I'm not losing anything. And the next day he called me on the phone. He said, you're right. He goes, go do it. That's Which was so, a beautiful thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was me. kind of the same gesture with the guitar. Yeah. But um, prior to being 16 and getting the guitar from him, did you ever feel like he somewhat understood? Because it sounds like he was conflicted himself on the no. inside. But so you felt like it was. Well, he, he didn't. Understand. He was. He. I mean, he was a per. He was. He was violent in the sense that he didn't ever beat me. Well, he beat me up once when I was young. He beat me with a paddle because he got really mad at me. Yeah. But. It, he, I think he had some anger inside of him, you know, and he didn't know, know exactly what to do with it, but he was mostly sort of intensely, silently angry. Sure. <laughs> Unless Try he got to keep in a fight with wraps. my mother when yeah. they were both drunk, yeah. you know, but... Um, 
And and so he gives you the guitar, and did, did it kind of clue you in at that moment that there's a little bit more going on behind the curtain, and maybe does kind of understand and or support you? Because I mean, it seems like that's a big, that's a big thing from well, a silent yeah, guy, I mean, you know? Yeah, I mean, he, he. I mean, we worked it out. He and I did. I sure. Mean, we we talked about all this before he died, and, and for oh, a lot, a long way before he died. But yeah, he. He was going to hang in there with me. That's good. And he did. Yeah. That must have really propelled you forward, I think, in your mind. It did. Because um, leaving, leaving in a motorhome and dropping everything is a big step. I, I thought that he didn't, I didn't think that he was proud of me because, of, because he was so disappointed that I didn't sort of follow in the footsteps that he laid out for me. Sure. But, and that was really painful for both of us, I'm sure. Yeah. And I acted out a lot on that, I'm sure, too. Yeah. Uh, I drank and used drugs at that pain. Sure. Know, at that pain. Well, people often do. The, uh, the, the Gunga Dins, um, how much time did you spend in that band? That was kind of like your first big break, would you say? Well, it's really interesting. It happened, it happened really fast. I had finally talked to my parents and to buy me a guitar. And then the summer after that happened, I guess I was 14, uh, my grandmother bought me an electric guitar. Mm -hmm. And the first one I was could acoustic. play, and people knew that I could play at the junior high school that I, that I was at. I mean, it just was not a big deal, but some people knew that I played guitar. Oh, okay. So um, there was a, they're gonna have a, a school, uh, talent show okay and so m myself and uh mike king and ricky hall and brian collins and johnny uh baker made just made up a band for that performance called the gonks g-o-n-k-s gotcha. and we played in our junior high school auditorium about four or five songs that were British invasions kind of songs. It was hot. And the girls went crazy. I mean, they were all up and dancing <laughs> in the eye. I mean, it was, nice. it went crazy, yeah, and, yeah. you know, and that was, that was it. I mean, we all, after that was over, I mean, that was sold. <laughs> I told Brian at that time, I said, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. Sure. He said, I, I remember you telling me that. Yeah. I talked to him about it last week. <laughs> That's fantastic. And what was the span of time with the Gonks or the Gungadins? Well, the Gonks are just one performance. Okay. And then from that, there was a band called the Twilights, and there was a band that formed called the Gungadins simultaneously. I wasn't in either one of them. Uh -huh. they, they formed. And then what happened was the Twilights, um, the Twilights, We didn't like our bass player that much. And we liked the bass player in the Gunga Dens, and the Gunga Dens were gonna break up because the, the two guitar players and singers were going off to college, and that was gonna be the end of that band. Gotcha. But they were good. And uh, so we broke those two bands up and formed one band, and what we called it the Gunga Dens, ah, not gotcha. the Twilights. Yeah. And we had uh, Neil Lundgren, and, and Bo Bremer were singing, and they could sing like the Everly Brothers. I mean, they could really sing. They were both super talented. Yeah. And uh, 
that was the Gunga Dens for a while, and it got real popular really quick. But then Neil got so he was so good that he went off and he left the band and formed his own things within the first six or seven months. Uh. And then we just had Bo as a singer, and then that's the band that recorded the records here in New Orleans at Cosmos, and we were on the national charts. We made I think we were number ninety nine for a week. You were on it, man. <laughs> you were on it, though. What um, coming into that, um, the material that was already in existence was uh, a mishmash of both bands. Were they kind of similar did, in their scope? We did. Well, we catered to our <laughs> singers because they were so good. Yeah, and Bo could sing anything. So we did a lot of we did a lot of uh, Midnight Hour, Wilson Pickett, those kind of things, and sure. we also did a lot of of British Invasion stuff. So we did soul music soul rock and soul and then we did british invasion stuff and then we wrote music too so we had original material too there was no shortage how many guys was in well it was five days? i guess or well, six let's see mm -hmm. yeah six six guys and everybody's throwing in material that and came no, with some just mike and i did all the writing oh okay and um what caused that to come to a close how long are we talking well couple of years yeah um the bass players had to go out had to, his father got transferred to connecticut his father was in the oil business uh-huh i mean we were all in high school yeah. and uh so he had to leave and, and we didn't know what we we're gonna do because he was just so good oh, okay <laughs> and uh so the band decided they, they wanted me to play the bass. Had but, you ever before this? Uh-uh. Oh, wow. I had never played bass before that. <clears throat> and I had to sing a lot. And, and playing bass and singing uh, is a special talent, yeah. I think. I can play the guitar and, and sing, but it took me a while to, to learn how to do that. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And I, but they said, well, you have to do it. And so... We got this job, and I went to play bass, and they called a song that we hadn't rehearsed. We hadn't really figured it out. <laughs> yeah. And I walked off stage. Oh, man. <laughs> and they kicked me out the next day. Oh, okay. <laughs> and they got the lead singer to play bass and sing. I mean, and he could do, it. do that in the first place. And he could do it. Yeah. But by this time, you were more than sold on what you wanted to do with the rest of your life, because it wasn't, oh, yeah. it wasn't just I a talent another show. Band it here. was doing it for real yeah for i joined another years. band here and then we moved to oakdale when i was a senior this you know that summer and uh you know i played guitar there in the in the orchestra and i played the string bass in the orchestra too nice. <laughs> it's not ironic that i played bass in the orchestra there. well i mean it was bound to happen it sounds like <laughs> not by your own design but a cosmos i guess you know yeah. um the span of time that you uh, got in the motorhome with the wife and left this is after everything that we've been talking about or it's in the midst of that is in the middle of that it's after all of what we've just been talking about now okay this was like when i was <clears throat> 40. gotcha yeah because you uh, were a counselor for 12 years right, right. okay so this um, is the end of that i was a counselor from when i was like 30. yeah till almost 40 42. yeah and i still did it part-time so the the gungadins are you're no longer with the Gunga Dens. Well, actually, I am. 
But we're not doing anything right now. But oh, I'm uh, saying like at that point in oh, your no, life, right, right, right. back then, um, you're gone. They keep playing. What do you do yourself personally? Because we're not quite up to the to the uh, well, counselor part, right? Here's what I did. I went to school at LSU, and I met a bunch of guys there. And it was a singer-songwriter thing happening then, you know, the uh, Dan Fogelberg and uh, just there was a lot of singer-songwriters. James Taylor, early sixties, early mid sixties, late sixties, late sixties. Okay. And um, I sold well, I sold that electric guitar, which was a stupid thing to do, and I and I bought an acoustic guitar. All right. And started writing songs mm -hmm. playing and singing with guys in the, on the common ground at LSU and I met some really nice guys and we hung out together and then I, I saw a thing on the board one day they have a big bulletin board about a guy who was looking for a songwriting partner yeah and his name is Quentin Powers and who went on to be pretty darn famous and uh, but he I called him and he and I became friends and we started writing music and we made a demo and we, we, we hired some musician friends that we knew up there and found some people that we didn't know and, and did a demo, and rented a studio in Baton Rouge and made a, nice. made a demo. We'll be right back after these messages. Hey, what's up everybody? Normally in the middle of podcasts, they give you a bunch of advertisements, but on the NewOrleansMusicians.com podcast, we'd like to shout out our members. Today, I've got one of my personal favorites in our list of website members, Brethren Hog. They're a doom, stoner, southern metal group from New Orleans, Louisiana. And they're inspired by artists like Alice in Chains, Black Sabbath, Typo Negative, and the Melvins. When asked what single factor played the biggest role in the choice to pursue a career in music, band member Chris Posner replied, I was a big Nirvana fan when I was in my teens. I first learned to play when I was around 15 and couldn't believe how easy the Nirvana stuff was. Before that, I had mostly been trying to learn thrash metal like Metallica. And the idea of writing stuff like that at that age and skill level seemed out of reach. Nirvana made me realize it just had to sound good. It wasn't a contest to come up with something complex. By the time I was 17, I was fronting a hardcore punk band and writing 80% of the material. I just tried to grow from there. I had realized that music is open to anybody who loves it. That's awesome, Chris. One thing I've always hoped this podcast would do is inspire up-and-comers to keep at it and let them know that they aren't in this alone. Now, these guys have played mostly southeastern Louisiana and parts of Texas, and they do have an album out as of late last year titled Relative Swine. Their next is in progress and slated for later next year. You can catch their work on Spotify and Facebook under their name, and I'll spell it for you. It's B-R-E-T-H-R-E-N-H-O-G-G. But hey, before you go, check out this example of their work. This is Gone by Brethren Hog. So hey, check it out, y'all. And now back to our show. And took it up and shopped it. And they said, 
it wasn't good enough. Yeah. And so they said, go back and do your homework. Quentin was really mad because he'd been to Vietnam. He said, I think I've paid my dues. Right. <laughs> I would imagine, though, at that time, the bar was probably set a little higher because there was a saturation of that. It was real high. Genre. And there were a lot of talented people. I mean, it was boom. It was popping. And, sure. And But anyway, so we came back and we did it again. And the second time we went up, um, we got offered a deal at, at Arden Studios with Ron Capone. He was the, the drummer and did some engineering on the Shaft album with Isaac Hayes. Yeah. And he worked at Arden with uh, Steve Cropper. Uh-huh. And so he got we got in to see him and he said he loved our shit he said move up here man he goes i'll get you work we'll do an album the whole thing so we all moved to memphis to memphis okay and lived in memphis for a few years and until that man <clears throat> petered out for because of drugs and alcohol and internal conflicts and all kinds of stuff but we we recorded a bunch of stuff at art i even got to do a session with steve cropper i played guitar on one of his sessions nice which was really scary yeah <laughs> well um you know i think it's pretty cool i mean you, you were obviously all in at that point because you dropped and moved oh yeah in pursuit of this and my dad gave me a van <clears throat> for the band to use he was silently <laughs> your biggest fan he just wouldn't admit it That's, right i yeah. know it just was interesting yeah so it was cool yeah and we, it was a really great band and we had i mean we we traveled all over the central southern and eastern southern part of the united states and played we we did a bunch of really big shows with we we did, we did a we did one really big show with um rufus thomas and carla thomas uh-huh and they came all over to our house to rehearse and everything nice oh that was just it was fantastic i bet that's a good jumping off point um where y'all was staying at the time because you can access so many different markets it's not too far from a lot. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Whereas down here in New Orleans, it's, you've got a ways to go in every direction, you know? Right. Back then, what they did, they had a lot of, there were a lot of rock and roll clubs. And there were a lot of hotels or motels that had clubs in the motels. And they made a lot of money off of them. Sure. And uh, you, they would hire the band and put them up in the hotel mm -hmm. for a week. You'd play seven nights. And they'd feed you one meal a day for you know at the buffet or whatever they had. Yeah. And and you could stay there and you got paid too and you played there and, that, and that's most of our jobs were like that. You were, yeah. were week long jobs. That's awesome. It was. So you got to you got to see a little bit of uh, the eastern. That's pretty cool, man. And um, so that was kind of getting you by while you were in pursuit of the album. Did the album? never came, came out no never came out what of the uh, material the studio material where is it i don't know it's i probably should try to look into that right Quentin <laughs> died i don't think he had any interest in it but they might be some they might be there but i imagine they probably threw those tapes away but you never know you don't i don't know if you recall but a few years back they had um reels surface from cosmo metasis place uh sea saint and they surfaced at a storage facility in California that was getting bid on. So this guy had, I don't know, a box, three boxes of originals, some things that haven't seen the light of day in years. Wow. Yeah, just falling to his lap, didn't know what to do with them or who they were. He had to do his research before he spoke out about it, but I can't even imagine. So 
I wouldn't say they're not out there. They just might be under a couple layers of dust or something. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you never know. Yeah. I'm glad you brought it up because I hadn't forgotten about thinking about that at all. That would be something, man. That would be something. Um, from there, uh, things kind of go kaput. You end up moving back down I moved here? back to Oakdale oh, okay. with my tail between my legs. Uh, my father gave me a job working at his car dealership. And I joined a band in Oakdale right away. Yeah. I found this guy who was so talented. And he said, come on, let's do it. And man, we started, and I played. And um, with him, uh, up until like 19, the, all the way through 1980. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of 1980, I got, I was, I was doing drugs and I went to treatment and quit, quit using. Was and that, then I got in trouble and, you know, I mean, that's how, that was a precipitous event that I, I got arrested while I was driving. And then my lawyer said, why don't you go to treatment? So I went to treatment. Yeah. And, uh, and that, but then when I got out of treatment, they sent me to a halfway house in Omaha. And the first thing I did was find whoever could play the music and we started writing and playing music. So yeah. I was up there doing that. That's when I became a counselor and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I kept playing music and I was playing in bands the whole time and recording and with people and I bought a really nice tape recorder and I, but I did, and then I got, then I moved back to Louisiana. That was in uh, Omaha and I went to Omaha and Oklahoma City and then I came back to Louisiana to Baton Rouge and I joined a, a cover band mm -hmm. in Baton Rouge like in 1982. Gotcha and played there in that cover band we played mostly in south louisiana at a bar in buris <laughs> okay but every every weekend for yeah, two years yeah. was, we were the band and uh that was really great and uh then i moved to new orleans and i quit that band and i i started just writing and playing with other people yeah um and doing talent shows and open mics and things like that everything around i played at the at the what's it called the neutral ground mm -hmm. you know that place where they have a lot, a lot of people get to play there it's really cool we played there a lot and i met a bunch of musicians and just played and then i and then of course i, I quit and went on the road and decided that i was going to go back to school at loyola and that's when i dug in yeah your time i wanted to ask you back up a little bit um and where was it at in Tennessee that you had moved to with the Memphis? Okay, Memphis. Um, when you had moved to Memphis prior to that, did you, uh, what was the, if you don't mind me asking, what was the drug use like? Was it just casual on, because you were on campus when you met that guy, right? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I drank. I mean, I drank beer. And right, so I, it was nothing, I, but it kind of got a, a, like exaggerated living together with them, trying to make it happen and where in, in Nashville in, in Memphis Memphis sorry well no I, what happened was the uh, I'm not gonna the saxophone player and clarinet we had a saxophone guy player that could play flute and clarinet yeah Terry L Langley you're out there Terry call me <laughs> I think he's still alive yeah um, but he was fantastic but he introduced me to uh, needles and uh, methamphetamine Oh, it got that serious. Yeah. Okay. And so it got to the point where I couldn't, I, I didn't think in my mind that I could play if I didn't have it. Gotcha. And it led up to the point where I missed one gig mm -hmm. at, at this 
hotel that we were playing at for a week. Sure. And the manager didn't like it. I guess he must have liked me. Or maybe he thought he wasn't getting what he was paying for. I wasn't there for one night, but he threw a fit about yeah. it. But I was there the next night. Mm -hmm. But the band, and I quit for 30 days because of that. I just stopped. Yeah. And, but then I slowly, gradually started back again. Sure. And it got bad again. That's and then the, the, the bass player for the band left with his girlfriend. And then Quentin wanted to keep, keep it together. But then we got another bass player. And then he left because he wanted to go be a brain surgeon, which he is now. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but so it, it was just me and Quentin there. And it was like, what was the point? So I came home. Yeah. You know? That's probably, it's probably got to be a, a, a fine line to walk to remain in deeply entrenched in music, but also sober. As opposed to any other occupation you could pick on earth, because it just seems like they go hand in hand. It's just one is always around the other, you know? Right. So I'm sure it's not been easy. Um, and so was that kind of the tipping point for you where you started missing, or you started to realize how it was affecting your music? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well... I mean, I got sober, so. Yeah, but I mean, that that was the start, or at least the genesis for you making a change in your life. It was something, it was a revelation to you that something's wrong. Oh, yeah. Yeah, gotcha. And then you moved back down here, and. Um, and I was a counselor. Yeah, okay. And well, I, but I was sense. playing music on the side. I was in bands the whole time. Yeah. And then, then I moved to New Orleans. I was a, I got hired to be a, run a program out at, uh, uh, River Oaks. Okay. I was at work out there for a while, and uh, then I moved to Slidell and ran a program over there with the same doctor that I was with over here. He sure. and I are still good friends. And this used, this must have been like a real stable time in life because it was the longest stretch. So oh far, yeah, right. It Twelve was great. years. Yeah, that's great. Um, as far as musically, how do you feel like your life was going? Um, on the music side of things for that span of twelve years, because I mean the focus had been shifted. It was good. Stuff. I was writing stuff. Okay. I mean, that, I mean, I'm I'm real happy about what I was doing. Sure. I mean, because I was creating. You yeah. Know, I was not idle. Mm -hmm. My spare time was spent at that tape recorder playing my guitar and doing multi-track recordings and sure. stuff. Sure. Yeah. Did you? Um, were you in the pursuit of uh, a band, a full band at that time with gigs and things, or was it more? Of no, I was in a band. So okay. But uh, for a while. And then, but when I moved to New Orleans, um, I wasn't in a, a formal band for a while, but then I found some people that were in recovery who I'm still friends with all of them. And we formed a band. Oh, cool. And we played a lot of dances, recovery dances and retreats and things like that. That works. And that was a lot of fun. We, and then, then we played rock and roll a few times. Nice. And that was fun. And then at the, at the, at the end of that is when I decided I was going to get back into music full time and we went on the road. Gotcha. And we built a recording studio inside of the motorhome. We had a full piano, yeah. an 88 key digital piano, and we had a 12 track re tape recorder, yeah. and an electric guitar, small amplifier, and acoustic guitar. What year was this? This was like a. Uh, 
that was still kind of uncommon then, I think. Right? I mean, how, how many? It was uncommon. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely uncommon. That's what I'm, I'm trying to frame it up. I'm, I'm not 100% on it, but I mean, I, I don't think that was an everyday thing you would find. What, how did that come to be? I mean, obviously it was to, to suit y'all's needs at the time, but. Well, the, 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 the woman that I was married to at the time, her name is Diane, she wasn't happy with what she was doing she was she wasn't doing anything and she was very well educated and super smart and she played piano she was really good piano player and so she she i mean she had a a a, a, a full-size grand piano in her living room yeah. and so she wanted she thought maybe i want to do that too and i, I said well i want to i think i want to go back to school so what we did was we went around the country and we also investigated music schools in nashville we went to belmont we went to vanderbilt we and we and we went up in the north and we went to boston to uh berkeley and you know i finally decided on loyola because they gave me a scholarship okay you know yeah and uh but and so that's what we did but she decided that she was going to work she didn't she decided not on that trip she figured out she didn't want to do the music thing yeah and um so I went back to school. I was in class Stanton. I was in class with Stanton Moore. I mean, nice. I mean yeah, yeah, Galactic. Um, that's awesome. And so you, know, you came back down here and um, pursued classes at Loyola. Graduated. No, I didn't graduate. Didn't graduate. I, I had it was yeah, it was expensive. I mean, even though I had a scholarship, it was only a partial scholarship. Yeah. And I inherited a small amount of money, and I and I made the decision. To, to use that money to open up a guitar shop because I had a part-time there. job. Yeah, I had a question about the guitar I got a part-time okay. job in the summer yeah. working at a guitar at, at, at Foster's Guitar Shop, which was the coolest shop mm. here. It was so cool for a long, long, long time. They had a bunch of luthiers in there. It was, it was just popping all the time. They yeah. were great. And uh, I loved it. And I saw that you could make a lot of money on vintage guitars. Mm-hmm. And so I quit school and opened up the guitar shop. Okay. And got, and got in a really good blues band called Merritt and the Bloodhounds. And mm -hmm. we played um, all over uh, this part of the country and we won the, the House of Blues blues band competition yeah. one year uh, for the southern part of the United States and when they flew us out to California and we played at the Hollywood nice the Hollywood House of Blues yeah yeah it was cool it was a great band really good we made, we did make an album and it's out there awesome um you've never been able to jump in the deep end real quick have you <laughs> you just decide you <laughs> you want to pursue something and see how it goes after you get there right yeah, that, but it's worked out. I mean, you've, you've had some of your greatest opportunities. I did want to ask you a little bit more. Maybe you could tell them where and the name of your uh, guitar shop, where it's located. Oh, my guitar shop is called International Vintage Guitars, and it was here in New Orleans for 28 years, and we moved to Oakdale during COVID, uh, and we like it there, and we're going to stay there. Yeah. Doing pretty good there. That's awesome. Um, I, be I believe that's it, man. I wanted you to... Um, tell them what you all have going on because actually today y'all are releasing an album and you could yeah we're releasing a new album that we recorded mostly at studio in the country mm -hmm. it's called zycordia the name of the band is the iceman special obviously and uh we're excited about it yeah. we got a video with it which is good too 
Yeah, I am too, man. I, like I said before we started recording, I went to that um, that show last year during Halloween, and the light show. It's an all. It's like it's a submersive uh, yeah. experience. Do you it's know what experience. I mean? And I really enjoyed that. Um, the music itself, there are melodic layers to it that I, I really enjoyed. But once you get in that atmosphere. Um, and it was at Toulouse Theater, which is uh, like a small to medium-sized venue, and y'all packed it, but it was comfortable. Like, I was just happy in every aspect, you know what I mean? Well, good. I'm like, uh, visually and, and, and orally. And um, I, I guess that was one last thing I wanted to ask you about. I, I forgot to ask. As far as how the stage presence of Iceman Special has come together, um, can you... Talk a little bit about, I don't know exactly what my question is, but I want you to kind of tell me how it, how you got to where it is because it's something else. It's something to say. Okay, I, I will say this. Um, uh, Hunter and Charlie and Will are, are super creative around deciding what to do about the stage. Mm -hmm. And I mean, from the very get-go, like we got hired to do when, our, when we first started, maybe in our first six or eight months that we were together, we got a gig out playing out in Metairie around where the airport is at a little bar out there that has live music all the time. Great little bar. And you have a whole corner. You have a whole corner of the bar. The band can set up in the whole corner. And so we went out there and Hunter and them bought, they bought white sheets. Mm -hmm. And they hung white sheets from the floor to the ceiling all the way around where we were so we had backdrop was all white sheets yeah and we had black lights and then they and then they decorated all in there with with other things hanging and those people couldn't figure out what the hell was going on we i mean they had like a a concert in their little bar that night it pulls you in and uh yeah and so that's we tried to do that every chance we get um and i, I and i'm gonna say that it's not so much me, but I sure take to it well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like one. it a lot. It's enjoyable playing in that atmosphere. Uh -huh. But every little thing counts, and I think that deserves mention. Uh, Y'all show posters are gorgeous. Um, yeah, every little thing helps. Yeah. You know, yeah, it, it, yes, it takes a lot of work. There's a lot of sure. moving parts. You know, yeah, including lawyers and right. taxes and <laughs> managers That's the and side, agents the under the, under and, the rug side. <laughs> and those those lights are expensive. Yeah, I bet. I bet, uh, but but uh, it's great. I mean, yeah, the lights are. Kudos for it. I really enjoyed myself. Taylor I hope, Bryant. I hope these guys get out and see y'all because uh, I really enjoyed myself at so many fronts, man. Well, thank you, and I thank you for your time. I nice appreciate to meet you, it, David. All right. Check it out. We all pretty much start off like jam bands. We get together. We push our souls out through the speakers. We look around the stage and read off of one another, and you know, after so much time, we know where the next person is going. Aside from those connections, we build connections with the fans, and that means the world to us. That's why listeners like yourself are so important to us. We'd love to have you back, so hit the button and follow the show. You can also support this show by going to buymeacoffee.com forward slash New Orleans Music. That's buymeacoffee.com slash New Orleans Music. And remember, you can find music videos, albums, articles, and interviews with bands like my own, Pocket Chocolate, on neworleansmusicians.com. Thanks for listening.